In a time where parents have the weight of a thousand decisions on their shoulders and every step is like walking in quicksand, adventure's probably not in your focus. However, research shows families who adventure are more resilient and have significantly healthier minds and bodies. The purpose of this podcast is to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa, your online community designed to help you connect, reach your summit, and create meaningful adventure experiences with your family. Hello, and welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. I'm your host, Heidi Dusick, and as of yesterday, a published author. As you may have heard last week, the making of my first book, Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embrace, Adventure, Explore the Wilderness, and Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids, was made publicly available on May 17th. And I talk all about that, I know, in the last episode, episode 74, The Making of Beyond Normal. And this episode's really more about the community and why and how to actually help authors who choose to tell their story. And it's it's not about me. I, I just want to make that really clear. It's easy to think, you know, that this is my story. But really, the reason I was motivated to write this story was to help others who have struggled with having an adventurous life and being a working mom and, and balancing all those things. It's not just for working moms, but for those who are really seeking to have an adventurous life with kids. And I thought for this episode, I, I really want to focus on how to support authors. And so I'm going to bring someone on the show who really supported me. But before I do that, I also wanted to say, you know, this is a long game. I'm going to talk about the launch for a little while, but this isn't something that you just launch a book into the world and it's over. This is kind of like a summit versus a journey. Some might think that the launch of your book is like the summit, like, oh, you made it. And anyone who's ever sold a book knows that you don't actually do anything on launch day. Like launch day was actually the easy day. (laughs) It was everything leading up to the launch and then everything after the lunch that really happened. So this is a long game. And there's a lot of things I'm learning. You know, this whole purpose for Ordinary Sherpa has been to help families connect through adventure and to really inspire families and use the Sherpa philosophy to help others on the path. And so I wanted to also demonstrate what that Sherpa philosophy can look like for creative entrepreneurs as well. How can you support some of your favorite authors? So I'm going to give a couple of tips in the next couple of weeks throughout this. I I don't know how long I'll do this, but a couple of tips that are like generous calls to action for ways that you can support your author. So I'm going to start with three today before we get into the episode. One of them is to request a copy of the book at your local library. I am a library lover. I and it has a little bit to do with my like minimalism methodology. I don't like a lot of stuff around my house. It's relatively easy to request a book from your local library. So usually what you'll do, actually, if you Google suggest to the city that you live in library to purchase a book, there's usually a form to fill out. It might require your library card or information about the book. So in the show notes, I'm giving you the information for Beyond Normal the author, the publisher, and the ISBN number are all included. So those might be the things you may need to know. And those are all publicly available. So you can find those pretty easily. The second thing I would suggest doing to be kind of a generous call to action for an author is to purchase a copy as a gift or even to place in a free little library near you. So if you're someone like me who doesn't always love to have stuff around, I still want to support the author. I was fortunate. I have a friend who chose to do a bulk buy. He just ordered 10 copies and he's going to give them away to his photography clients. And he's going to keep one for himself. He said, he's like, I know the content is good. I know you. I've learned so much from you and I want to spread this message. And that's really what this is about is helping the book's message get out into the world. So buying a book as a gift is a really great option. And when you think about it, most books are $15 or less, maybe 20 at the most. It's a great price point to give as a gift. And the third is to share any social media posts related to the book. You know, either it's the book or the author or someone else sharing it, or you see the book in the wilderness, I like to call it, out in the world. Take a picture, tag the author, tag the book. Share something about how the book has been important to you. Anything you can do, most of these, if you'll notice, are free. They don't cost you anything unless you're buying a book. 
you may want to repurpose your book for the Little Free Library. So there's a lot of different ways you can support authors in getting their message out into the world without feeling like you have to make this massive investment in a course or in a lot of different things. So that was really pertinent as we go into today's episode on how to create community through the different skills and assets we bring to the table. Today's episode will be focused on creating community through writing, but there's a lot of different ways we can really be generous as well as audience members. All of those ideas, by the way, are in the show notes. You can always find the show notes at the episode number. So today, again, that's OrdinarySherpa.com backslash 075, but all of that's always in the show notes. So I am anxious to hear what you take action on this week from this episode. I would describe our guest as one of the most humble and generous entrepreneurs I know. As you will hear in this episode, you'll hear how we met, and you could almost say we're complete opposites, which is why I actually knew I needed to be a part of his daily writer community to get my book to the published finish line. Once I decided I was going to write a book and had been encouraged and told (laughs) and suggested, nudged, I don't know whatever word you want to use there. It was something that I knew was going to, I was going to get bogged down in the details. Along the way, Kent has been more than just a supporter. He has designed content based on what I asked. He has put me in the hot seat to help me prioritize where to focus my time. And yesterday, he even purchased five books, five print copies of my books to share with random people on social media. Like he's just that type of spirit. Ken Sanders is the founder of Inkwell Ghostwriting, which helps leaders grow their businesses through books and other content. He is also the author or co-author of numerous books, including 18 Words to Live By, A Father's Wisdom, On What Matters Most, and a co-author on an upcoming book, The Faith of Elvis, a story only a brother can tell with Bill Stanley, which is Elvis Presley's stepbrother. In addition to writing books, Kent loves to help other writers. He's the host of the Daily Writer podcast, which helps writers cultivate the habits for creative success and the founder of the Daily Writer community. He lives outside of St. Louis and enjoys spending time outdoors with his wife and teenage son. Kent, I am so honored and humbled and excited to have you as a guest today. Welcome to Ordinary Sherpa. Thanks, Heidi. I've been following your show for a while now. And I've really appreciated your journey, and I've appreciated what you've contributed to the Daily Writer community also. And I'm super excited about your book because I want to have some copies I can start handing out to people. <laughs> so, so this is an honor on multiple levels. Thank you. Yeah. And actually, this might be a great opportunity just to talk through you know, my journey a little bit because I did not see myself as a writer. And you are actually one of the people that said, Heidi, you need a book. And I was like, what? <laughs> so tell me. <laughs> Why do you think business owners or podcasters or whoever needs a book? Well, there's a very simple answer to that. And I think that books are one of the few forms of magic left in the world today. Books are one of the few things that you can hand people and it immediately lifts your credibility and your reputation and that person's view of you instantaneously because a book is just by definition something that a lot of people want to do, but most people don't actually do. And it can be hard to pull together material for the book. It, it can be time consuming. It doesn't necessarily have to be, but books are one of those things that people inherently respect. And as soon as you give a copy of your book to somebody, it can change their life and it, your reputation can expand. It can influence many, many people. So there's all kinds of cool things that can come out of a book. And that's why I feel like I've dedicated my professional life, honestly, to helping people be writers, but also writing for clients and writing my own stuff as well. So I love books and I think they're magical. Yeah, I love that. Do you want to just give us a quick journey? Like, how did you get involved in writing books? How did this become your secret sauce? Well, it all started. (laughs) This is going to sound sort of crazy, (laughs) but this is the honest, this is honest to God truth is that I always wanted to be a writer. You know, there are some people who you kind of have this impulse to do a certain thing from the time that you're very, very young. And that was the case with me. I even remember telling my junior high English teacher, her name was Mrs. Tull, and I remember telling her that I wanted to be a writer. And I remember one day in class, whether it was after class or in class, I don't recall, but she told me one time that she wanted me to dedicate my first book to her. Hmm. And that's something that as, you know, like a sixth or seventh grader, that's kind of like a life-changing thing. Now, she may have said that to all kinds of kids. I have no idea, but (laughs) 
I do know that she said it to me and that stuck with me for decades. And I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it, but I never really did anything about it. And then finally, we were, my wife and I were standing in our kitchen one day and over the years I had talked about different ideas for books and, and I had yet another idea for a book and she just kind of turned and looked at me and gave me that look that I knew that it wasn't a good look. I don't know how you would describe <laughs> it, but it wasn't a pleasant look. And I can immediately tell she was really agitated with me. And I said, what's the matter? Like, why are you looking at me that way? She said, Kent, you have talked about writing a book since we've been married. And at this point we had been married probably close to 20 years. And she said, you've been talking about this the whole time we've been married, but you've never done anything about it. And at this point I just have stopped believing you. So Mm -hmm. I don't really want to listen to yet another book idea. And I don't know if she was practicing reverse psychology, (laughs) but if she was, it really worked because first of all, it made me kind of mad. And I was sort of insulted by her comment. But second of all, I knew that she was right. And so I got to work on my first book and submitted it to a small faith-based publisher. It was a super niche book that hardly anybody read or purchased, but it was my first book and I got it done. And then I wrote my second one. And then it just has kind of gone on from there with my own material and with client work and now with ghostwriting books for, for people. Awesome. Yeah. And it's funny because I have a completely different story from you. <laughs> I never imagined writing a book. So it's interesting how our lives have intersected over writing. It really is. Yeah, I love it. I have found a lot of stories are better for print than they are for audio. And I know you have a podcast and I have a podcast. And so that's where I often thought I'm a better speaker than I am a writer. So I had to overcome this concept of I'm not a writer. How do you inspire people who maybe don't think they're writers to get involved or to practice writing just to enjoy the process as opposed to thinking they have to be a good writer? Oh, that's a good question. Well, there's a couple things that I would say about that. One is that I think the definition of a quote unquote good writer is is something that's really, really hard to nail down because what does it mean to be a good writer? Like, what does that mean tangibly? What does that mean in a really specific way? And I think it depends on who you ask. You know, for me, you know, one of my favorite writers is Stephen King. He's a wonderful storyteller. He's not really like a language person, like he doesn't use a lot of fancy language, but he's a wonderful storyteller. So I love that. And I think it's good writing. At the same time, I also love many other writers for different reasons. Maybe they're great with language or maybe they're wonderful with narrative nonfiction or for whatever reason. So I think it just depends on who you ask and what genre you're referring to. When we talk about good writing, so there's not really any definition, except that I would say good writing is writing that does whatever it's intended to do, whether that's convince somebody or move somebody emotionally or tell a story or communicate some kind of truth or information. Maybe it's to educate or inspire someone, whatever the purpose is. If the writing accomplishes that, then I consider that good writing. And I think many times we get way too hung up on the language and the words, and the syntax and grammar and all that stuff when that's kind of beside the point. I mean, you have to have that stuff because that's just part of good communication, but that's not what writing is really about. Mm -hmm. Writing, I believe, is designed to change the reader in some form or fashion, whether that be to scare them, to move them emotionally, inspire them to take action, give them information that helps them make a better choice or whatever the case might be. So I think sometimes we we look at people who we admire as writers and we compare ourselves and we think, well, I'm not a writer like they are, so therefore I'm not a good writer. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think all of us are already writers. I mean, if you write emails and text messages or reports or social media posts, whatever it is, we're all already writers. So it's not a matter of being a writer or not being one. It's a matter of will you accept the fact that you already are a writer and what are you going to do about it? Yeah. I remember some of our early conversations too, because it's overwhelming when you think about like, how am I going to write those many words, right? When you, it can be really overwhelming. And I think you were the one that said, like, Heidi, think about writing an email every single day. That's really all you're doing is building a habit of like writing a story that's about the length of an email. I was like, oh, oh, so you've really changed my lens because I did think I had to be grammatically correct and have good I don't know, sentence structure and all those things that I just didn't think I was good at. But that's what the (laughs) writing teams are for, right? There's people like you and editors and proofreaders. Oh, totally. You know, there's people there that'll support you. And I think that has been really 
welcoming. I think that's the part that I was like, oh, now I'm curious about this because I thought I had to have it figured out. It's been interesting. Yeah. And I think that's a great point. And something that we often forget, and I forget this too, is that whenever you see a fully published book that has a great cover, it's structured well, the interior looks great, you know, it's using a nice font and it's designed and all that stuff. Sometimes we forget that that's a product of a team of people. It's not a product of an individual. And the individual writer, they got the ball about 80% down the field. And then editors, designers, and and by the way, not just one editor. In particular, like in the publishing world, you have a developmental editor, you'll have copy editors, you'll have proofreaders. So there's like different levels of editing that goes into that as well. So a good book is the product of a team of people, not just one person. But whenever we're sitting there at our computer and we're thinking about all the books that we love, it's really stressful sometimes because you feel like you've got to get the ball all the way down the field when you don't. Mm-hmm. Your job is to produce you know, one or two or three drafts of it and then enlist the help of other people who can really help shape it and sculpt it and correct it and make it so much better. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. And that's the power of community, too. I think even in joining your Daily Writer community, I think you continue to challenge me on things like this. You know, I remember a couple of times you said, well, Heidi, your question is you should ask that to your audience. Like, what question are you trying to solve here? As opposed to, I don't know the answer to that, but your audience probably does. Yeah. You don't have to have all of the answers. You just have to ask good questions and figure out how you can solve it for them. Correct? Is that kind of the methodology? Yeah, I think so. I think we just overcomplicate the process way too much. You know, for example, whenever I started the Daily Writer community, I really felt a lot of pressure because I felt like I was not really capable of creating something that was on that caliber. So therefore, I resisted it for a long time. And then it dawned on me that I don't have to, you know, the things that I had in place for my writing, I did not have in place for running a community in terms of my mindset. And it dawned on me after a little while that I don't have to have all the answers. This is why I have other people in the group who are experts at what they do. So we can all come together and help each other and sort of give each other the answers. I'm kind of the ringleader. I'm sort of running the show. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to have all the expertise of everything related to writing. Yeah. And you do have expertise, though, too. I think that you still bring that to the table. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the books that you've written? I mean, we talked from your first book, but you've obviously come a long way and your career has kind of shifted in the last couple of years as well to really focus in more on the writing as a key component of your identity now, I think. Right. Would you say yeah. so? Yeah. yeah, it really has. Things have changed the last couple of years pretty radically for me because I never really set out to be a ghostwriter. You find this a lot of times when you talk to ghostwriters that very few people ever set out to become that in their careers. It's kind of something that we stumble into. And the reason for that is that it's a hidden kind of a thing. I mean, it's not as hidden as it used to be, but but it's something that's kind of in the background. And you know, sometimes you'll hear people talk about, I want to be an architect or a doctor or this or that. Nobody says ghostwriter because it's something you know, again, it's just kind of in the background and we don't set out to do that. Yeah. But the way that it happened for me was I started doing freelance work and then I was doing my own stuff and doing podcasting, a lot of other things. And then I came across a course by a guy named Nick Pavlidis and took the course. And I thought, man, this is genius. I can filter my writing skills into doing client work and I can also do my own stuff on my side. And that's kind of the way that I've chosen to do my writing career is I have my own stuff, but I also have client books. So To give you a couple of examples of things that have recently kind of been on the docket, I just came out with a book actually last month called 18 Words to Live By. It's a little paperback. And I wrote this for my son's 18th birthday. I got the idea last year when it just kind of dawned on me that, oh, he's going to be 18 next year. And I know that sounds kind of crazy to hear a parent say that. Yeah, I get it. But yeah, you know, anybody who's had kids and, and they've kind of become teenagers or they've grown up. It's weird, but it's true. It's that it kind of sneaks up on you a little bit. And so I thought, what is something that I could give him for his 18th birthday? And since I'm a writer by trade, that was the first thing that came to mind. So this book is just a little collection of short chapters. It's 18 chapters specifically on the things that I wish I would have known at his age. And I intentionally made the book really short, super easy to read. I actually worked really hard on making the sentences and the paragraphs short So it would be kind of a zippy sort of a thing to just buzz through real fast. But that was one project. And then a radically different project that I'm almost finished with is called The Faith of Elvis. This is a book that I wrote with a gentleman named Billy Stanley, who is Elvis's stepbrother. 
And that's kind of a long story about how this project came about, but it was an absolute blast writing about Elvis's spirituality and his faith journey. It's kind of a, a combination of an inspirational memoir, but also a biography. And it's an interesting mix of a couple of different things there, but I had a blast doing that. And that book comes out in uh, October. That's awesome. Yeah. And I haven't read either of them, so I feel a little inaccurate or a little bit of an imposter right now because I am so excited to read these. But it's I just came from Memphis and I remembered you sharing this while I was in Memphis, which is obviously the home of Graceland. And I had been there and they had previewed the trailer for an upcoming movie related to Elvis, which also goes into a little bit of depth of his spiritual journey. So right. I was so excited. I was like, this is like perfect timing. I can't wait to see the movie, but I want to read the book first. Right. <laughs> well, the movie comes out June 24th, my wife's birthday, and the book comes out, I think it's October 4th or 10th. I forget which one. I feel like okay. I should know that, but it's just like the first week of October, I think. Yeah, it's been interesting that to see these projects come out at the same time, which actually was, I think, the original plan. The book, it took us a little longer to get out than just because of some publishing stuff behind the scenes. But yeah, the book, it has been designed specifically to come out around the same time as the Elvis movie. Yeah. It's awesome. I'm excited, though. I think it's worth reading the book before watching the movie. I'm just going to like put the plug in for your book first. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a fun journey. So I always laugh because, like I said, I never saw myself as a writer. I was not an avid reader as a child. And one of the things I think that just gets us stuck sometimes is like we don't think we're readers. We don't think we're good enough. We don't think we're writers. I actually talk about this in my book because there's a lot of people in my audience who are like, well, I'm not adventurous. I think the mindset is actually the same. That you can say whatever. And I use the example of I'm not a reader. And then last year, I read something like 24 books or something. And I was like, so what's the benchmark for being a reader? Because at what point then do I get to decide like, okay, now I'm a reader? You know, I think it has a lot to do with our growth and what we believe or the stories that were told about us or what we think about us. But all of that is negotiable. Nothing is ever concrete. There's no like benchmark for being a reader or a writer. So I'm just There's kind not. of like unpacking the conversation here a little bit because I do think I'm really excited now. My kids have embraced reading to an extent that I have never had. And I'm laughing because my daughter has now read, I don't know, she had an accident. So now she's like super reading where like <laughs> books and books and books where I was like, I can't keep up with her. She's reading like crazy, but she's reading all of the Harry Potter series. And we can't watch any movie, any Harry Potter movie in our house until she's read the entire book. Oh, my goodness. And then she like explains it to everybody because nobody else has like read them in depth. And my son is doing all the Hunger Games ones. And again, we can't watch the movies until he's read all of the books prior to. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny that that's now the new standard in our house. Like you can't watch the movie unless you read the book first. That's hilarious. That's really hilarious. I love that, though. I love the respect that they have for books and that they're really getting into them. And the Harry Potter books are not short books. No. Most, I mean, the first, like the first two are pretty short. The third one, I think, is a little longer than the rest of them are massive. Yeah. Number five was like almost 800 pages. So I'm still like in awe that she's still reading these things. <laughs> like, Good for That's you. That's fantastic. You know? I want to talk a little bit about using your audience and the power of really garnering insights a little bit, because this is something I thought was fascinating that I learned through the process that a lot of people come as content writers or content creators and think they have to have all the answers. And you've alluded to this a little bit, but I'd like you to talk a little bit about where do you start? Where do you get your information from? Where do you get inspiration to write these stories? And how do you kind of advance the work as you go along in the process? I assume you mean specifically for my own material and not for clients, correct? Yeah, correct. Okay. So for me, most of the stuff that I write, with the exception of the 18 words to live by book that just came out, that's kind of a whole different animal. Right. That was like a side, side, side little project that I wanted to put out there to see what happened. But that's kind of different than what I typically write, which is stuff for writers and things like that. So I just mostly listen to the things that people are struggling with. I pay attention to my own struggles and I ask a lot of questions on Facebook of people. So whenever you see me asking a question on Facebook related to writing, you can be 100% sure that I'm doing research for something or I'm using that as a way to see what are people struggling with? What are they wrestling with? And I think that's really an effective way because it gets people engaged. It reminds them that I'm primarily a writer. Like That's the identity that I try to really put out there in social media because I think people are going to put you in a box anyway. Mm -hmm. So I have decided I want to choose the box that people put me in. And that's the box of being a writing teacher, more or less. 
So that's why I ask a lot of questions and I talk about it a lot on social media. So I just try to pay attention to what are the things that I'm frustrated with about myself related to writing or being a business owner or being a ghostwriter. I pay attention to the questions people have. And then I just try to create things sort of based on that. And really, it kind of comes down to that. I've stopped trying to think that I have to be the guru or the one with all the answers. Mm -hmm. And when I respond to people's pain points and their questions, whenever I write about my own struggles with it, then people seem to respond more than if I position myself as like, hey, I'm like the guru with the ultimate answer packet. And, you know, I've got the popular podcast that is answering all your questions. And I don't know, I get sort of annoyed by those people. I mean, you could be an expert, but I don't really like it when someone positions themselves as like, I'm the greatest expert in the world on this topic and, and that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's just not how I approach life. So I just try to be real and honest and authentic. And I look at myself as basically like a crash test dummy for writing stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, to go back to some of the work you've already done, a lot of people feel, well, I'll go maybe to some of the work I've done and we can compare stories, right? So a lot yeah. of people come to me and they'll say like, how do you come up with your ideas? How do you know where to start? And I'm like, well, I just ask questions, right? So I have my like everyday adventure challenge. I come up with ideas, but really it's always just like, oh, how could I tweak this? And I know you have the daily writer prompts just to like ask questions that people respond yeah. to. And I think yeah. that questioning that, you know, just asking questions over and over really can trigger a different way to think about an existing problem that you have too. Yeah. And I think you have to be curious about this. I think that's a fundamental thing that you have to have if you're going to be an entrepreneur or have your own podcast or start a business. You've got to be curious and you have to want to learn and you have to embrace the idea that you're never going to have all the answers because the world is changing too fast for you to ever have a solid handle on any body of knowledge without it changing in some fundamental way over the next five years. I think that's just the nature of life today. So if you're not just inherently curious and if you don't ask questions, you're really going to be at a disadvantage, I think. Yeah. And I think when you are curious, you can see how unlikely ideas might connect as well. You know, like, oh, I didn't think of it that way. Or someone highlights an insight that, you know, maybe you had not thought of. So I think just being curious allows you to really expand the horizon of what's possible or what might have been in your circle of influence, per se. But I also think that also comes with community. I think that comes with, yeah. you know, surrounding yourself with people who ask good questions as well. And that is part of the power, I think, of the Daily Writer community is being immersed in people who are willing to ask you questions or maybe even challenge you in a very thoughtful way. I don't want to be like confrontational, but will ask you questions to make you think like, what is my message? Am I communicating it clearly so that people understand what I'm trying to say? Can you talk a little bit about the Daily Writer community and really how that has evolved and what you're seeing in that space? Sure, I'd be happy to. And thanks for the question. That's always something I love talking about because I believe in the power of community, first and foremost. And that's why really I created this. It's because I know how other communities and mastermind groups have changed me. And to be honest with you, I resisted the idea of trying to create a community for a while because I sort of felt like an imposter. I mean, my background, I was a pastor for a while and I was a college professor for a long time. So I felt like building a group or trying to establish a community was not something that I was really skilled at, but I had somebody really push me to do that. In fact, it was Vincent, but he pushed me to do it. And I remember I was at a retreat with him a couple of years ago and he said, you know, do you think you could help people by building a writing focused community? And I said, yeah, I really think I could, but I'm just kind of afraid to do it for some reason. And he said, if you believe you can help people, but you don't do it, then you're really doing them a disservice because Basically, you're letting fear stop you from doing something that you think would potentially be helpful. And I thought, oh, man, I hate it when people use logic against me like that. <laughs> so I've got to do it. So what I did is I did something that was really uncharacteristic, which was I just launched into it really fast. And that's not my normal way of doing things. I talked to probably 25 people who were friends of mine. And I said, what would you be looking for in a group like this? We talked about pricing. We talked about features. We talked about all the stuff. Then I just launched it with a beta group. And that was that. And it's been great. Uh, some of the things that we do in the group are we have weekly calls where we have, sometimes it's general Q&A calls. Sometimes it's a call with a guest expert of some kind talking about a specific topic related to writing or book marketing or productivity. 
Sometimes we have hot seat calls. We do those once a month. And you've been on one of those, Heidi, Mm -hmm. where you come with some specific questions or problems that you're struggling with in your writing. And we also do writing sprints each week before those calls. So we do a three-hour session where we hop on Zoom, we check in, and we just kind of write together. Now, we don't work on each other's stuff necessarily, but we're there all together working on our own stuff. And there's something kind of fundamentally important about that. When you realize that you're doing stuff with people who have the same goals and who are also there to support you. So those are two of the things that we have in the community. We also have a very active Facebook group and I'm getting ready to actually move the community to a different platform that has some cooler, more updated features. But even though there are a lot of techie kinds of things we could do in the group, I think the absolute fundamental thing is just getting on calls with people, talking about what you're doing, where you're going with your writing, asking questions, sharing goals, having a bit of accountability. I think that relational component is the missing element of for most writers and what they're doing, because Mm -hmm. we don't necessarily need to go to yet another conference or yet another seminar, or we don't need to download another free PDF on the 76,000 ways to build a writing business or to market yourself on social media. And all that stuff can be great. But I think the fundamental thing is just human connection. Yeah. And in fact, I was telling somebody just yesterday, in fact, that the way that I look at the daily writer community is it's kind of like the cheers of writing groups. Remember the show Cheers where <laughs> yes, you Norm. walk in? You, yeah, and that's exactly what I said. I said, you walk in and everybody goes, Norm. In fact, the person I was having coffee with, I think they were like 10 or 15 years younger than me. And so I talked about Cheers and they kind of gave me this funny look. I was like, oh my gosh, they've never seen Cheers. What does this world come to? How can you not? I don't know. But that is how I see the group is it's a place where you come and people know who you are. They know what your name is. They know the kind of stuff you're working on. And we can refer each other and help each other and those kind of things. So I think that's the missing component for most writers. It's not the knowledge. It's not the skills. It's the community aspect. And when you're engaged in a powerful community, then you're naturally going to build your skills and your opportunities are going to be greater because you're getting referred and you're getting people who are helping you to network and support what you're doing. So to me, that's the missing component. And that's really what this group is all about. Yeah, I would agree. I call this in the book, I talk a little bit about this too, is the power of community and finding your tribe. In the adventure space too, you know, there's a lot of doubt that seeps in when you're talking about things like lifestyle design and adventuring with kids. It can be uncomfortable and you start to really question like, can I really do this? And then there's something that happens through connection, through human connection, where you're talking face to face or in a Zoom, you know, I'm still seeing a face or I'm listening to another person give me insight or support me when I'm down or, you know, reinforce something that I really knew about myself. That is not the same as collecting gurus of people who like think they know everything and I just need to learn from them. Like it's not a two way street then if you're just learning all the time. And I call it collecting gurus, you know, like I could take a 100 more online courses or I could listen to a thousand podcasts, but that's not actually going to help me take action. I feel like human connection is really critical to taking action and moving the needle forward on what I want to do as opposed to just like continuing to learn. I do too. I feel really strongly about that. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, like reading books and the importance of that. But like anything else, you can take it too far. Like I have to watch myself a little bit on social media because most people don't realize that I'm actually a really sarcastic person in real life. (laughs) And my mouth has gotten me in trouble a lot. There have been more than once where I've had to apologize to people for sending like a a really zinger email, like to a coworker or something like that. And I've got to walk down to their office and, oh, I'm sorry, I was a little snippy with that. And and so I have to kind of watch it, especially like the end of the year, whenever people are all bragging about how many books they've read this year and and all that. And I always just want to go, well, that's great that you read a book a week. That's wonderful. You know, as a writer, I support reading books, but I want to know what did you do after you read those books? You know, maybe you had some fancy note-taking system or You read all these books and you highlighted them and you imported them into Evernote or whatever you did. I want to know, are you fundamentally a different person because of what you read? Or are you just sort of absorbing knowledge? Mm -hmm. And I think absorbing lots of knowledge without doing something with it is actually really not helpful. And (laughs) there's a word that, you know, cynical former college professors like me, we have a word for that that's called higher education. (laughs) (laughs) I'm being Uh, a little cynical, but kind of not. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, it's that phase of, again, I don't want to keep like referencing my book, but at the same time, there's like knowing 
there's a sense of knowing. Sure, I can know a lot of things, but if I don't do anything with them, what's the purpose? And then there's like the doing, right? And actually exactly. taking action. And if you can do that habitually over and over and over again, then you kind of get to the being stage of now I am a writer or now I am adventurous or now whatever. Like you have to practice those things. It's not like you wake up one day and you're like, okay, I read 17 books and now I'm a writer. <laughs> like, no, yeah, that's not yeah. how it works, you know? That's funny. Yeah. And I appreciate and I can totally validate and support your cynicism. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I am a little bit uh, of a cynical and, you know, we're both Gen Xers and, you know, the whole Gen X generation, we're just kind of a sarcastic bunch to begin with. Yeah. So and I just sort of have learned to embrace that. That's OK. Yeah. It's part of us. It is part of us. I actually want to bring up a funny story that we had at a retreat where I remember you asking me a question. You're like, what if I just genuinely don't like adventure? Or I think it was travel. Like, I <laughs> just prefer me. routine. And and I was like, really? So just think about it differently. Do you remember this conversation? I do remember that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So I am curious. In your family, you said that you are probably the more like I dig routine I enjoy things that are predictable. And your wife was more like, likes the spontaneity and likes yeah. a lot of, you know, stimulus, so to speak. So I am curious because this comes up a lot in relationships. You may have one person who's more adventurous and you may have one that's not as adventurous or is, you know, prefers, like you said, the routine. I'm curious how this has evolved since we last talked or if it evolved in any way where you are now thinking about how that works in your relationship. Wow, that is a really good question. I don't know that it has evolved that much because I'm a little bit stuck in my ways, but it has evolved some. And, and I will tell you exactly what has changed for me. One is going to two or three retreats and just the travel part. Like I absolutely despise everything related to flying. It's crowds, it's airports, it's little seats in airplanes. And it's just that the hassle of the whole ordeal really annoys me. But I was having a conversation just the other day with somebody and they're like, you know, you just need to kind of get over it and embrace it and look at it as a networking opportunity with people that you don't know yet. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the guy who talks about creativity, yet I'm not willing to do new things in my life. There's a word for that. It's called like being a hypocrite. So I need to like <laughs> practice what I preach. But yeah, I don't know why sometimes I have resisted that. I think it's because I am a person who likes routine and predictability. Maybe part of that is just being a writer. I don't know if those two things in an introvert, I don't know if those are connected, but I do struggle with that. Although I'm getting better about it bit by bit. So yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, but it's going to be kind of a slow growth process for me. But if I can grow in my adventure as you have grown in your writing, maybe that's the goal I should shoot for is I need to be like Heidi when it comes to adventure. <laughs> Well, and we talked, I mean, you don't have to adopt what the other person is. You don't need to change your identity. And we have talked in one of the ways I have a very, I wouldn't say like stick in the mud kind of kid, but I have a kid who really likes routine as well. So as a mom, I've had to really think about this. And as much as I like to go, 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 you know, we've never done slow travel very well. <laughs> I've learned that that is actually in the best interest for our family moving forward is we need to slow down and allow for us to have routines while traveling. And so that has been really critical, even as we are planning our trips now, that we do consider all of the people involved and engaging them in, in the process. And I know, you know, for me, I realized like, okay, this isn't about you, Heidi. <laughs> this is also a family vacation. Like the goal is to be together and that we'll all have some fun. And so just one example, we went to Disney a couple of years ago. And I was so overstimulated. I ended up having an anxiety attack. But my kids were like, can we just go play at the pool? And I was like, no, that's a waste of money. No, that's, you know, it's like, it's almost frustrating. I'm thinking about like how much I had planned this trip. And I was like, you know what? We need to go play at the pool. And that's where all the magic happened was when we like stopped worrying about all the things. And we just leaned into who we are as a family and allowed time for connection and came back to like have a nap, have lunch, go play in the pool. I was like, oh. This was great. <laughs> so, you know, I think we also need to be reminded that you don't have to be go, go, go. You don't need to escape what your life normally is. You just need to lean into it a little bit. Man, I'm so glad you mentioned Disney because so we're going to Disney next month. Actually, we haven't been there in gosh, when was the last time we were there? It's been, I think, 13 years since we've been to Disney. So it's been too long. But this was the first year that kind of we were able to align our job schedules and everything to be able to go. Plus, my son's 18. So we're like, we got to go before he moves out of the house at some point. 
Now, what is interesting, though, is that my wife is a Disney. The word fan is not even really <laughs> like Disney nut, Disney obsessive. I'm not sure what the word is, but she loves Disney. And and I'm not exaggerating when I say that every day for the last year, since we have been planning this trip and we booked it, she watches Disney videos by it's some couple on YouTube. They go to Disney every day and they report on here's the wait times for this and here's the this and that. And, you know, I could watch like 20 minutes of that and I've kind of had my fill of it, but it's the thing that really brings her joy and happiness, which is great. But we've had a lot of conversations the last probably six or seven months about, okay, when we go to Disney, you know, we all have to make sure that that we're all kind of on the same page because she's a go, go, go person. She could be there for 15 hours and write everything and still have energy. And after about five or six hours in the crowds and the heat, I'm kind of like done. Yeah. It's been interesting because we've kind of come to an agreement about, okay, you know, if me and my son, who's kind of an introvert, if we get, you know, to five or six in the evening and we want to go back to the hotel, that's okay. She can stay out and do some more stuff if she wants to. But it is interesting. I think you have to communicate about these kinds of things. Otherwise, you end up with a family that just squabbles the whole time and everybody's unhappy and so forth. Well, that's when the meltdowns happen. And you can still have meltdowns when you're, you know, in your 30s, too. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's not just I've the five-year-olds. Myself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it has a lot to do, I think, with just, you know, having, like you said, that communication, the intention, understanding where everyone's at. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I think that's a great point because people want different things out of vacations. Like my ideal vacation is going to a cabin in the woods and reading for two weeks. <laughs> like literally that is the thing. When I think about that, I just think, oh, my gosh, that sounds so wonderful. But that's other people's nightmare. So when you're married to somebody who has very different ideas about what's relaxing, you have to really compromise and communicate. It's funny because I had a coaching client that called me the other day and they were trying to work through a family vacation. And it was very apparent that one parent was the go, go, go. And the other parent was much more of like, can we please slow things down? Because when we go, 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 the kids are relentless they're painful, they're exhausted, and like everything's unpredictable. And so it was even interesting to have like this conversation back and forth because what happened was the one parent that's like the go, go, go person, they're like, my idea of the worst vacation ever is paying for a hotel and sitting in it. (laughs) (laughs) I would much rather be out exploring the community. So I think there's a difference between like a cabin in the woods and a hotel in a city, like just to clarify. But I think it's interesting when you start to really hone in on people's perspectives of like good, bad and different topics, you start to understand too, like, okay, so we know that that one's off the table. Let's, you know, try not to plan more than an hour or two in the hotel or something that would set someone off. That would be a trigger for this one. And yet we can't be go, go, go and have 20 things planned for the day. Let's plan for five and we'll have a couple extra just in case things go better than we expected. But we're not planning for 20. We're planning for five, you know? Yeah, that's a great observation. And and I think part of this too is so, and how long have you been married, by the way? That's a great question. (laughs) Um, 13 years. Okay. So we've been married for 26 years and I think part of this, and I don't know if everybody would agree with this philosophy of marriage, but I think part of this seems to be knowing what kind of marriage that you have. And what I mean by that is there are some couples who they do everything together, like they're inseparable. They both love the same things. You never, ever see them doing separate things. Our marriage is not really like that. I mean, we do our common things, but we also both have interest in things that we do on our own. And for us, that is what works. So like, for example, next week, I'm going to client book launch event over on the East Coast. I could have flown, but instead I'm driving, it's like a 15 hour drive. I am so excited about getting in the car and having all that alone time. I just cannot wait to have some peace and quiet and just listen to podcasts. That would drive my wife insane. You know, she has some things she goes and does with her friends. She did a trip last weekend with some of her girlfriends. And I don't know, I, I think it just depends on kind of how you function best in your relationship and marriage and how you both perceive adventure and and just kind of doing what works for you. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I can appreciate the differences. Is I always joke too that sometimes we need to be apart <laughs> for various totally. reasons. Absolutely. And there are times when I really need, we need to be together. You know, there's certain things yes. that are just better done when your kids are starting to like play on you and be like, well, dad said this and mom said this. And I was like, oh, it's time for yeah. mom and dad to come together then and have the conversation. Totally, totally. Yeah. Well, Kent, this has been such a lovely conversation. I do want to just kind of close out by saying, 
you know, if someone has ever had this thought of writing a book or they just don't see themselves as a writer or how could they get connected with you? How could they follow you? How could they interact with the type of content you put out? So I would say the first thing that I would point them to is to check out my podcast, which is called the Daily Writer Podcast. And you can find that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere that fine podcasts are sold. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But you, you can get that anywhere. And because people are listening to this in the form of a podcast, I know they already love podcasts. So I would say that's a great place to start. It is a daily show. And typically the Sunday through Friday episodes are little short episodes. They're like two or three minutes long. And typically on Saturdays and or Sundays, I have an interview of the week of some type. So that would be the first place. And then if people really want to dive into the blogs and the community and stuff, they can go to dailywriterlife.com which is where everything related to the daily writer is. And they can get involved in the community if they want to. They can get a month for free uh, just to kind of give it a test run. And uh, I think if people are really serious about taking their writing to the next level, that would be the, the thing to do because you can join that. You can have a supportive community who can help you accomplish your goals, give you some accountability, and you can learn at the same time. So, And I'm also on all the social platforms. I'm not on Pinterest, though. I just I'm not a Pinteraster. I'm not really a TikToker. But um, TikTok is not a word, but it, I guess it is now. You can make it a word. You're right. You can make it a word. <laughs> you won't find any dancing videos of me on TikTok. Yeah. But uh, most of the other ones, I'm there. Yeah. And I think, you know, I didn't really refer to this in the episode, but I want to just kind of highlight, you know, it. I was under the impression it takes years to write a book. And I started my book in July of last year of 2021. Over Fourth of July weekend, I just sat down and hashed out my outline, which you helped me create. And over the course of three months, I wrote the book. So I also think, you know, all of the things we may think about writing a book, that there's a statistic out there, something like 80% of people want to write a book and only 2% do or something like that. You probably know that statistic better than me. But I think if you ever had of an inkling, just start asking questions too. And Kent is an excellent resource to start asking those questions, to inquire and really test like, what are the things I'm telling myself about myself and explore it, explore it a little bit further. Absolutely. I feel like if I just want to leave people with one thing, I would just say, why not you? Why mm. should everybody else get to have success with books or the things, but you not have it? And so many times we sit back and we go, well, why do they have all this stuff? It's not because people are more talented than you are. They just are the ones that did something about it. So for anybody listening, I would just say, why not you? You can do a book. You can absolutely do it. If I can do it and Heidi can do it, you can do it as well. That is awesome, Kent. I love that advice. Thank you so much. It has been so fun. Thank you so much for coming out of the show. And again, for all my listeners, there's several books. I'll have them all in the show notes. But we talked about 18 Words to Live By, A Father's Wisdom on What Matters Most, The Faith of Elvis coming out, we believe, in October, and The Daily Writer Book, which I don't know that we talked about, but as well as The Daily Writer Podcast and The Daily Writer Community. Thank you so much, Kent. It's been such an honor. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Kent. Oh, I love your insights and your advice. I have 11 key takeaways from this episode. Number one, books are one of the few forms of magic left in the world because so many people want to write a book, but seldom do. They have an inherent way to be respected and offer a level of impact and credibility that are hard to attain through other means. Number two, Kent's wife was the impetus for him taking action and writing his first book. She states, you have talked about book ideas for years and then you've never done anything about it. So I don't want to hear about another book idea, which I think is a healthy challenge. For those who love us, they can sometimes change the trajectory of our lives with a simple challenge. Number three, it's hard to quantify a good writer, quote unquote. Kent's definition of a good writer is if the writing does what it's intended to. Whatever the purpose is, if writing accomplishes the goal, that is good writing. Number four, will you accept that you already are a writer and what are you going to do about it? Number five, a book is the product of a team of people sharing their skills to improve the outcome. Between the designer, editors, formatters, they're all critical to having a great final product of which the author tells the story. Number six, 
Writing a book does not require you to have all the answers. You just need to determine what questions to ask and then begin compiling other people's responses. Number seven, Kent uses questions on social media to help determine what struggles people have related to writing. As he quotes, people will put you in a box anyway, so define the box you want them to put you in. Rather than positioning himself as a guru or an expert, Kent likes to refer to himself as a crash test dummy. Number eight, being immersed in community with people who will ask questions and challenge you in a thoughtful way is a critical component to your success. If you think you can help people and you don't do it, then you're really doing a disservice. The Daily Writer community is designed to support aspiring writers and support writing accountability. The fundamental premise is human connection with the intent of writing and accountability. Number nine, human connection is the antidote of doubt. Community is a two-way street. Community through human connection is designed to contribute and to receive others' contributions. Number 10, if you are simply absorbing knowledge and not taking action, it is likely you will stay stuck living life in the status quo. If you feel stuck, perhaps the first question towards taking action is, why not you? Number 11, I am purchasing his book, 18 Words to Live By, to give to my husband for Father's Day. And husband, if you are listening, act surprise in a couple weeks. A generous act is to do something to help an author connect their audience by sharing their message. I hope this message inspires you to explore the stories of others who've poured their time and talents into their works or into their books to support some of your favorite authors in new ways. I encourage you to take action by following some of the generous ideas suggested above. If you're interested in writing a book, reach out to Kent or I. Be curious, ask questions. Perhaps you can add published author to your resume and inspire others through your writing. Until next week, I hope you are finding something to adventure by, to have a new experience, to get outside, and to step just outside your comfort zone. If you choose to purchase Beyond Normal, a field guide to embrace adventure, explore the wilderness, and design an extraordinary life with kids, hit me up on social media. Tell me one thing or what is one quote that you loved or that you're really looking forward to or who you're going to share it with. Just give some feedback to the author. Again, try to make this a two-way community. Until next week, keep on adventuring and I look forward to connecting with you soon. If you found value from today's show, here are three easy ways you can support us. Subscribe to Ordinary Sherpa Podcast on the platform you're listening to. It lets the providers know that you're getting value from the show and want to be around when we release additional content. If you feel compelled, leave us a review. Two, find your friends, family, and others you think would enjoy this show and share this episode. Three, and most importantly, join the community of families interested in creating authentic experiences through simple adventures by going to OrdinarySherpa.com backslash community. We want to hear from you and create content that would benefit your family. Thanks for joining us on this journey as we help families connect through adventure.